Hello and welcome to Scanning Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we will provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we did not cover in this episode and the ones we did. I'm one of your hosts, Andrei Karinkov. And I'm your other host, Sharon Joe. Oh, Dr. Sharon Joe. <laughs> um, and this week we're going to be talking about how the UK Royal Mail is using drone delivery, how Google is using AI to digitize maps in the utilities industry, how researchers are developing an algorithm uh, for human robot teams, how there's a new large-scale data set uh, for adversarial and implicit hate speech detection, um, how regulation is getting uh, pushed along in China and Europe, and how you know one of them is really setting the standard there, uh, and how the New York State Office for the Aging is deploying AI robo- robots for companionship. And finally, we'll be ending uh, our day with... Uh, some fun ones about, you know, generated uh, storytelling about how uh, someone became friends with the robot and also some popular cartoon characters uh, and what they would look like in real life. Yeah, those last ones are pretty fun. So stick around or check out the links in the description. As always, we have that there. And just to start us off uh, in applications and business, the first article is Royal Mail is doing the right thing with drone delivery. And this is the UK Royal Mail actually starting to use drones to deliver things. And we've seen this, you know, with Zipline having success with this approach to deliver urgently needed goods to thinly populated or remote areas uh, or in times of emergency. And that's um, very much what's happening here. The UK's Royal Mail is uh, has announced that they're establishing more than 50 new postal drone routes over the next three years. And of course, this is subject to uh, CAA approval uh, and the ongoing planned improvement in uh, the economics uh, with using these drones. Uh, But they are planning to secure these 50 new drone routes, um, which means up to 200 drones over the next three years. And this is to the island communities um, around uh, the UK. Uh, And the ambition here is to be able to deploy a fleet of more than 500 drones servicing all the different corners of the UK that are usually not as uh, frequently touched. And I, I would encourage you to go take a look at those drones. The drones are very much almost like mini airplanes, I would say, because they're so, so large. Uh, and that really struck me when I first saw them, when I saw a couple people pushing them. But they look like something between a small airplane and obviously it's not an actual drone uh, slash personal drone or even toy airplane. Um, so, so it's quite large, um, but not for you know passengers. It's just to uh, carry mail around here. Yeah, we've seen some companies like Amazon try to do uh, these kind of drone delivery things, but those have been pretty small kind of quadcopters or, you know, these little propellers that uh, fly upward. This is a drone in the sense of, as you said, kind of a mini plane. It has uh, wide wings. It's metallic. It has motors just like, you know, uh, old timey kind of uh, thing with rotating blades. So it's pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, 
it's because they're so beefy, they can actually carry a payload of a hundred kilograms up to a thousand kilometers with full autonomy. And a thousand kilometers, if you don't know, is a lot. It's uh, around 500, 400 miles. So quite impressive. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me, this application where it's not just being used because it's cool, but it's being used specifically for these islands, which are pretty far flung. And this really does seem to be the best way to do this on like, let's say infrequent boats or large piloted aircraft. So uh, yeah, I wasn't aware of this kind of use case in this whole drone delivery uh, world. And now I'm starting to wonder if these sorts of things could be useful for other sort of more far flung regions where boats or uh, vehicles don't make as much sense. So this is definitely going the very reasonable, practical approach where drones are very much needed today as opposed to competing with other services. Um, for example, just it, it's able to fly 105 kilometers in 40 minutes and it's able to fight strong winds. And this is, you know, because it's beefy and, and it can actually get there uh, both in time and also uh, makes economic sense in terms of frequency. And so um, very excited to see where this goes, because this is, again, filling a need that is otherwise not met by existing services. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, here they are trying to secure 50 drone routes for up to 200 drones, but it does sound like you said that they are hoping to eventually deploy more than 500 drones for even more, a bigger region of the UK. So I think it'll be, yeah, really quite impressive if they pull it off and this is the first um, effort of that kind. So um, yeah, very cool. And I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's no, uh, Neural networks in this place is just good old control algorithms, although I may be wrong. And on to our second article, Google uses AI to digitize maps in the utilities industry. So this is about how Google's DeepMind had engineers that partnered with UK power networks. Another story about the UK where uh, DeepMind is based. Uh, so UK Power Networks is uh, the country's biggest electricity distributor, and DeepMind is creating digital versions of hand-drawn maps covering more than 180,000 kilometers of electricity cables, obviously using AI. So this involves using you know, you know, image recognition and scanning thousands of these pages of maps, some of which are going back decades, and then automatically converting them to digital formats that can be put into computers, which you cannot do with paper documents, uh, as far as I know. Uh, it's, it's kind of curious here in a statement, UK Power Network said that until now, no AI software has been able to recognize hand-drawn straight lines and classify objects like electricity cables and then recreate them as fully interactive digital files. I would imagine probably the hand-drawn aspect here is what makes it tricky due to all the variance you would see in um, you know, how it, these things are drawn, especially going decades back. And they said that previously they have just been manually scanning these maps, especially with underground equipment. Um, and so 
having this extensive library up to date uh, and uh, digitized is very, very useful. Um, and Google mentioned that they're making the digital maps freely available to the industry, meaning energy battery operators, local authorities, or energy aggregators can actually see where to plan their new equipment and bid for flexible energy market contracts. Um, so, you know, many things will be visible, electricity substations, cables, or overhead lines. Um, and this will hopefully help people uh, stay safe when, when carrying out that excavation work. Yeah, and it also sounds like if this works well, this could also impact utility sectors outside the UK with this kind of similar form of technology where DeepMind being a large company can partner with others to do this sort of work. So interesting to hear on a more applied project. I don't believe there's a paper on this from DeepMind. So this is really their engineers putting AI to use in this collaboration. And on to our lightning round. The first article is AI on the ball. Startup shoots computer vision to the soccer pitch. So the startup Track 160 uh, is setting its sights on democratizing sports analytics using NVIDIA GPUs and computer vision. Uh, and so basically using computer vision to uh, look at you know, a sports game and be able to um, analyze it and give accurate stats on it. The next article is Google adds machine learning powered studio lighting to video calls. And this is what we've all been waiting for, which is studio lighting to our video calls. Um, uh, so basically, uh, you know, using AI to boost the video quality of our Google Meet calls. Um, so if you're in a dimly lit room uh, with a bad webcam or a weak Wi-Fi connection, it could do some portrait restoration. Um, the Portrait light is a new feature and it uses machine learning to imitate studio quality lighting in your video uh, when you're in a video chat. Um, and it has the ability to actually modify that lighting position and brightness. Um, it'll also, you know, on the sound levels, so it's less about lighting, will eliminate echoes in the room uh, with hard surfaces and make it sound like you're in a conference room uh, with microphones, with nice mics, even if you're actually in a basement. Um, so, They'll, you know, there's a whole suite of things, um, you know, Zoom has been pushing out stuff and now Google is pushing out stuff since we're using video calls much, much more. Yeah. Now, if only they could apply an AI solution so that people don't have trouble with their mics and don't forget to, uh, you know, unmute themselves. You're <laughs> starting to talk. <laughs> the classic problem. I think you muted has been uttered countless times over the course of a pandemic. So uh, unfortunately, I don't think AI can fix that. My all-time favorite is when my AirPods decide to be sentient and take over the video call and decide, you're not speaking. Yeah. I'm going to take over now. <laughs> that is uh, definitely sentience uh, on the rise there in uh, inanimate objects. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not uh, doing that, we think. Uh, but you know, now if you have audio problems, at least you can look good on the video front with That's these right. features, which sound right. pretty impressive. On to our uh, other stories, we have Dyson launches a hiring spree for hundreds of engineers to build robots capable of doing household chores. So Dyson, the company famous for its 
vacuums and other kind of high quality, well-engineered and designed electric products is now hiring hundreds of people, literally like I think 750 uh, engineers who are working in his uh, personal robots that can indeed do household chores. Uh, these are pretty large robots that have like an arm and some wheels that can move around. So pretty ambitious effort on their front. Uh, pretty interesting. And our last story is Pony.ai loses permit to test autonomous vehicles with a driver in California. The California Department of Motor Vehicles revoked the company's permit when it said that the company failed to monitor the driving records of the safety drivers on its testing permit. And this is interesting because I believe last week we talked about how this company uh, was permitted to test in several Chinese cities um, or even um, maybe not even a permit, I forget. So interesting contrast, uh, but uh, I suppose they can keep improving using this ability in China. Yep, I guess uh, <laughs> I think they uh, very much had, you know, opposite reactions. Maybe the uh, DMV in California just very much was like, OK, actually, we saw that news article come up uh, in terms of you getting the certain permit. But we actually looked into you a little bit deeper and it turns out you're not actually doing the work, perhaps over here. We'll yeah, see. I wonder if the uh, Chinese permit uh, kind of motiv motivated them to double check, although um, yeah. probably not. Probably this was independent. That's right. Um, and to be clear, the one in China is actually driverless. So this one is, California is even provoking them with a driver to be oh, able to test. yes, yes. So it's uh, quite a step back, I would say. And on to our next section of research and advancements articles. The first one is researchers develop algorithm to divvy up tasks for human robot teams. And this is a, an article about the paper um, at ICRA uh, called Synergistic Scheduling of Learning and Allocation of Tasks in Human Robot Teams. And so this is uh, researchers at CMU, uh, Carnegie Mellon University, specifically the Robotics Institute, um, and they've developed this planner for uh, humans and robots to work together. And specifically, it's to figure out when to delegate um, a task to a robot or to a human or to have the human teach the robot something. Uh, and the planner is called Act, Delegate, or Learn, short, uh, an ADL for short. Um, and it considers, you know, a list of tasks and basically decides, uh, decides how to assign them. Uh, and this uh, paper, um, it's very interesting that it, uh, it specifically looked at a task of, <laughs> I, I believe it was putting peg uh, blocks into a pegboard um, and stacking parts of different shapes and sizes made of Lego bricks. So very simple task, both in simulation, but also they did it in the real world as well. Um, but to see the broader picture, it's that robots and, you know, are, are coming to our factory floors much more these days. Uh, and so figuring out how to divide our tasks will be more and more important. Um, sometimes people are better suited for tasks, sometimes it's robots. Uh, and so working together uh, might actually uh, be be a, be a good way for us to collaborate. Yeah, and, and the kind of most novel aspect here is acknowledging that 
robots are capable of being taught new tasks and they're not so, so static. So, you know, there's various uh, optimization techniques to do this kind of problem uh, or optimization of task allocation and sort of scheduling. That's a very common problem. Uh, but here it's, you know, being pushed forward with this notion of human-robot collaboration. And you were just chatting before uh, the recording that this paper, you know, the, the main contribution doesn't actually use deep learning or, or neural nets. It uses a classic optimization technique that when given sort of the costs and probabilities of success of the robots and humans for these different tasks, it can just solve for the optimal uh, decisions given what it knows. So there's no need to learn any sort of policy. And we don't talk about these sorts of AI papers that don't really involve learning very often. And I think a lot of people might perceive that all of AI is machine learning these days. So it's a good reminder that that's not really the case. And especially at CMU, the Robotics Institute is a major player in this kind of research and publishes a lot of work uh, where within robotics still there's a lot of sort of planning algorithms, uh, optimization algorithms, and things like that that... um, aren't just big neural nets doing stuff. Yes, and specifically, actually, if you do look into the paper, we did find one really small neural network in there, uh, and it was just two layers. So specifically, there wasn't any deep learning in this paper at all. Um, And, uh, you know, the paper was nominated for the Outstanding Interaction Paper Award this year. And so uh, this is not exactly how to, you know, we don't need deep learning to really move robotics forward still. There's still so much work. Uh, to be done. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the main focus was on this sort of classical uh, optimization technique. And it actually got me curious to look at the other papers at ICRA that were nominated. And um, we won't go too much into them, but here's just a few. The outstanding paper, which is basically the best paper, was translating images into maps, which basically involved taking something you see in front of you and then from that converting it to a bird's eye view, which is really useful for uh, autonomous driving, for instance. Then um, they have papers with a bunch of categories aside from that. For instance, they have the outstanding animation paper, which is precise 3D construction of plants from UAV imagery combining bundle adjustment and template matching. Again, using more uh, classical techniques. They have um, an outstanding deployed systems paper, which is fun because that's actually a robotic system that is being used. And that paper is the autonomous teamed exploration of subterranean environments using legged and aerial robots. So I believe that's a DARPA challenge on exploring mines we talked about a couple episodes back. Uh, so yeah, uh, ICRA is one of the biggest robotics conferences, and when you go to these sorts of conferences, you see a lot of papers that don't necessarily leverage deep learning, although there are also a lot of those there now. And to be clear, ICRA is one of the top robotics conferences. It is, yeah. I know a lot of people uh, you know, publishing and actually attending. It's, it's going on right now in Philadelphia. So I'm in my Twitter feed, I've seen a lot of uh, <laughs> things come yeah. up. Yeah. 
And on to our second story in the research section, we have Microsoft AI researchers introduce Detoxygen, a large-scale machine-generated dataset for adversarial and implicit hate speech detection. Uh, so this is a big a little article that covers the paper with that title. It's actually not just Microsoft, it's also MIT and the University of Washington, Allen Institute for AI. It's a pretty big collaboration. Um, and um, as the title implies, the main focus here is Toxygen, a new large-scale machine-generated data set of uh, 274,000 toxic and benign statements about 13 minority groups. So we've talked in the past, I believe, about how many NLP, uh, natural language processing systems, may exhibit bias and other harmful toxic aspects that they learn from these large-scale internet data sets. So here, the focus is on creating a data set of those kinds of harmful things so that it can be leveraged as research uh, on how to counteract that sort of thing. So there's a lot of um, uh, statements here about, let's say, people of color, Muslim people, Asian people, mentally disabled people, that sort of thing in these 13 uh, categories. And the interesting part is that uh, it used a large language model, GPT-3, to generate these statements. So they basically asked the model to output bad stuff, and that way they could create this giant data set that is um, you know, uh, many times larger than most previous data sets of this kind, and also more diverse. And they, they found, based on human evaluators, that these are pretty realistic. It's hard to differentiate from the sorts of people, uh, real nasty people on the internet, could say. They also did a human evaluation on a challenging subset of Toxygen and actually found that the people looking at it couldn't distinguish the machine-generated and the human uh, written language, uh, which honestly is not that surprising since I think hate speech is um, even when the, the model's not trained on hate speech seems to be very good at hate speech. So uh, when it is trained on, it seems to be exceedingly do exceedingly well on it. Uh, and uh, they they found actually, in fact, that ninety four point five percent of the toxic examples. Um, are labeled as hate speech by human annotators um, across the data set. Uh, they also found um, that fine-tuning a toxicity classifier on this data does actually improve its performance on human-written data substantially. So that seems really cool as an avenue of research um, and improvement uh, to be able to be able to identify toxicity and improve it using a data set such as this one. Um, and so using Toxygen uh, to fight toxic uh, language. Yeah, and they also published their code on uh, GitHub that uh, basically has all of this, how to generate a data set and how to uh, uh, stress test off-the-shelf content moderation systems across different minority groups. And, and this is a big deal, you know, um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, pretty much any major site uses these kinds of learned models nowadays for content moderation. And given the scale, 
Um, they really work alongside humans to detect hate speech. And um, according to Facebook, the vast majority of speech is flagged by AI and actually doesn't require a human annotator or, or person to look at it. So yeah, very cool work and um, interesting approach here of just kind of leveraging the language model that implicitly learned toxic speech to then create examples of toxic speech to improve the language model so it doesn't do toxic speech. <laughs> of course, it's always, you know, a little bit dangerous, I guess, um, to release something like this. I will uh, hopefully people don't use it for for uh, malicious purposes. Mm-hmm. And on to our lightning round. Um, researchers use machine learning to identify thousands of new marine RNA viruses in study of interest to microbiologists and clinical laboratory scientists. Quite a lengthy title there, uh, but it's an international team of scientists who have used genetic screening and machine learning techniques to identify more than 5,500 previously unknown species of marine RNA viruses. Um, and they're proposing new, five new phyla, uh, which are, you know, biological groups of kingdom phylum, you know, of viruses. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, and yeah, it seems, seems very useful. Second article is tiny robotic crab is smallest ever remote controlled walking robot. Um, and this is Northwestern University uh, developed the smallest ever remote controlled walking robot. And it comes in the form of a tiny, adorable peaky toe crab. Uh, it's just half a millimeter wide. Um, and the cr- tiny crabs can bend, twist, crawl, walk, turn, and even jump. Having watched uh, uh, Black Mirror, uh, I, I don't think of it as that cute, but uh, there we go. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, the size of a fleece, smaller than a fleece, so I don't know it could do much harm. But, um, you know, I guess maybe if you have a lot of them, uh, maybe it could pose a problem. Otherwise, you could just step on it and pretty sure it'll be broken. Onto our other stories, we have Tartan Drive dataset, likely largest for off-road environments. So researchers at CMU took an all-terrain vehicle on wild rides through tall grass, loose gravel, and mud to gather data about how the ATV interacted with challenging off-road environments. And they drove this ATV aggressively at speeds of up to 30 miles an hour. Now, there's a fun way to get some data for research that I haven't seen. And the other story we have is AI framework cuts time and effort needed to predict critical care outcomes, which I believe we've uh, chatted about before. Uh, Scientists at the University of Washington have used AI to reduce the time, effort, and resources required to predict patient outcomes in critical care settings, which is pretty important. And before we go on to other news, quick ad break. Uh, So as we have done in the past, we are going to wrap the tool we are using right now to record this podcast, which is Zencaster. Zencaster is a website where you can uh, invite people on a call, basically like Zoom, 
and it records your audio and video. Uh, and it stores it on our cloud. You can later download it and use it for editing. Uh, and it's just as simple as clicking on the link and starting to record. We have used this tool for over two years, pretty much never had trouble and are very happy with it. And that's why you figure, you know, why not do this ad and get some money from it? Uh, you can go to zen.ai slash last weekend. You can go to zen.ai slash last week in AI and get 30% off your first three months with a pro account if you need to record any sort of audio or video with guests i think it's a good solution cool and on to our society and ethics section uh china and europe are leading the push to regulate ai one of them could set the global playbook uh so both china and ai sorry so both china and europe are trying to roll up their regulation and uh, China specifically has been rolling out regulations governing the way online recommendations are generated through algorithms, uh, which, you know, suggest what you should buy, what you should read and what you should watch. Um, and the core of their latest policy is to ensure that companies inform users if an algorithm is being used to display certain information to them and people can choose to opt out instead of being targeted. And this is, you know, a really important shift because it gives people a greater say over the digital services they use over the Internet. Um, and this is, you know, amid this changing environment in China for their biggest Internet companies, uh, including Tencent, Alibaba and ByteDance, which are now, you know, also in hot water because of uh, antitrust reasons. Um, so China's moves are pretty noteworthy. Um, they have been very, very quick. We've chatted about them uh, a couple times in our podcast previous weeks and uh, compared, you know, the timeframes of every other country or jurisdiction, it is super, super speedy. Um, Europe, on the other hand, has been rolling it out slowly and their recommendations are to try to cover as much of AI under one regulatory AI framework as possible. Um, and, uh, China's, you know, specifically going after online recommendation systems first. And uh, I think what's very key here is that, you know, in the U.S., we are probably the most behind. Um, so as we watch these two uh, different areas um, try to set the scene for AI regulation, it's been uh, very, very interesting. You know, China's approach could affect other laws and EU's approach could also affect other laws. And while we don't want to mimic you know, ideological or speech controls that are deployed in China, uh, some of the problems on the more technical side um, may be relevant for us to borrow and for us to think about. Um, and on the other hand, the European approach, you know, is quite onerous uh, on companies because it requires pre-market assessment before, you know, even going into the market, you have to be able to be reviewed and everything that you're not doing something um, doing something horrible. And so it's this balance um, and we'll see how the U.S. follows and other countries also follow both the EU and China on, on these fronts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've chatted about both of these trends and they are a big deal, as this article implies, that these are very um, kind of ambitious sets of laws. Uh, in China, as you said, it's already... Um, in power and, and came about very quickly. 
doing things like regulating rec- recommendation algorithms uh, to be not harmful to people and things like that. Um, so it's an interesting contrast between what the EU doing and what China is doing with EU focusing more on kind of auditing things before they hit the market and uh, China being more sort of um, less broad, more prescriptive, so more specifically targeting recommendation rules and um, things like that. Um, We've also chatted in the past how similar to GDPR, passage of these kinds of things, because tech firms are often global, uh, they could impact even the U.S. Uh, once you know, there's certain regulations in place, any company like Facebook or Twitter that seeks to comply with these regulations will probably also change how they operate in the U.S. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of other countries that may want to do this sort of thing, Canada, Australia, um, any number of them. And it, it's interesting to see how these initial efforts will end up influencing kind of a broader global efforts towards regulating AI and, and that sort of thing. And what particular really, really important point in the article is uh, we should ensure that we continue this dialogue with in this communication with these other countries, essentially these two quote ecosystems um, and not cut ties between them. Cause if we do ban that communication and dialogue, we will actually, it might actually be a big threat for us um, uh, without understanding how we can interact with, with each other. These are two really giant economies. Mm-hmm. Definitely. On to our second story, something a bit more pleasant than we usually cover. We have New York State Office for the Aging deploys AI robots as companions for older adults. So about two months ago, we actually covered the article, uh, Meet LAQ, the robot who wants to keep grandma company. Just to recap, this company intuitive Intuition Robotics created this little robot, LEQ. It's it's very small, it's just sort of stationary, has a little head that can move around, and it's really designed to be kind of um, a social presence for older adults that helps with things like check-ins and assistance with wellness goals and physical activities, but also with calling family and friends and things like that. Basically, an Alexa that is a little more targeted toward interaction and keeping someone company. And so, as as implied, this only started being uh, sold two months ago, and now uh, the New York State Office of Aging is delivering uh, these uh, devices to the homes of more than 800 older adults. Um, and this is pretty important because a, over a quarter of adults of age 60 and over live completely alone, and the percentage is likely to only grow. So um, even it's, if we've discussed it's not a replacement for human contact, it's still a nice augmentation. And it is a vote of confidence, it looks like, for the New York office to be doing this. So hopefully it goes well. Yeah, and they said that 
you know, the technology uh, launched commercially after years of pilots and early production deployments where users were having an average of 20 daily interactions. And I find that really interesting. There's like so much interaction uh, with with LEQ, with this robot. Uh, And, you know, with the global pandemic, it's, you know, very much been an isolating experience. And uh, economically, that's driven $6.7 billion in additional associated Medicare spending per year, um, as estimated uh, by the AARP Public Policy Institute. Uh, So this is, you know, a big deal. And it's being um, developed, not just, you know, hey, here's something for the elderly, but it's been developed with the elderly's input too, you know, for those pilots. And so I'm excited to see where this goes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, As I've expressed before, I think this uh, kind of AI work, uh, social robotics is maybe less well known and it's not sort of thing we typically see in science fiction so much, but I think it will be a huge deal, um, you know, going forward, given the population dynamics we're seeing. And the neat part of this uh, device is unlike something like Alexa, it's proactive and starting conversation. So it's more of a social presence in, in that sense. It's actually kind of around you and, and may interact with you. And um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you might think it's kind of just not going to do much. But I think if you were to have such a device in your home, you'd be surprised by how much it really changes the atmosphere and just by having a relatively simple and small kind of thing interact with you, uh, even then, if it remembers the context of certain conversations and just generally, you know, is a warm kind of presence, I do think that has real potential for improving mental health and, you know, other aspects of health. And on to our lightning round. The first article is Oxford High School tests AI gun detection system in wake of shooting. Uh, So this is six months after the deadly shooting at Oxford High School, which had four student deaths and eight injuries. Uh, Now this school district is experimenting with a new technology called Zero Eyes to detect guns with the help of AI uh, and using their hundred cameras inside of the school. Uh, That being said, the, the article does note that they would not have caught the gun person in this case because the gun was in the uh, the student's backpack, but uh, this is a step towards uh, being able to do a little bit more automated assessment um, and safety within schools and be able to n- notify authorities and uh, figures inside of uh, the school uh, whenever that is detected. Yeah, we just discussed last week about another uh, system for detecting guns that was uh, kind of replacing uh, metal detectors. So interesting to see this now with a camera-based solution really kind of hints at where we are in the U.S., uh, sadly. And the next article is an autonomous car blocked a fire truck responding to an emergency. Uh, So um, this was in April around 4 a.m. one morning. uh, An SF fire department truck uh, was responding to a fire, um, tried to pass a double parked garbage truck by using the opposing lane, but then a traveling autonomous vehicle, which was operated by Cruise, a subsidiary of General Motors, uh, didn't have anyone inside of it and was blocking its path. And a human probably could have reversed to clear the lane, uh, but the Cruise car unfortunately did stay put. And the fire truck only passed the blockage when the garbage truck driver 
ran from their work to move their vehicle. Uh, so it was, yeah, obviously not great for the autonomous car to not have been able to, again, engage with authorities in the right way. We've seen that problem happen previously as well, more comically, but now this is a bit more serious. Yeah, and it, it really showcases the growing pains of this kind of technology. At the end of the day, you know, this is a sort of special case, right, that you don't encounter often driving around. But as a human, you would have the common sense to know what to do. Uh, this autonomous car has not been programmed and hasn't been trained to know what to do, so it didn't know what to do. And so, yes, that sort of showcases the real issue with going completely autonomous. Next up, we have U.S. firm Clearview AI, once again, fined for illegally collecting images of Brits' faces. So a U.K. privacy regulator fined Clearview AI 7.5 million pounds, that's $10 million, uh, for breaching privacy uh, regulations. And Clearview has already been fined by regulators in France, Italy, and Australia. So nothing new. We've discussed this in the past. Clear AI continues to be controversial and to um, involve problems. If you haven't heard about it, it's a company that sells facial recognition software and is collecting over 20 billion images of people uh, from all over the web. And now it has been fined yet again uh, $10 million is, is kind of a lot for a startup. So I wonder how they can uh, manage to um, get by with all these fines. And our last story is Pentagon names new chief of responsible AI. So the Pentagon in the US has stabbed the AI ethics and research expert Diane Staheli to lead the responsible AI division of its chief uh, digital and AI office. Uh, so if you've chatted or mentioned other kind of appointments uh, in the Pentagon and the Department of Defense with respect to AI, it uh, seems like they're really expanding um, pretty quick and adding all these different experts to their staffs. And on to our last section, the fun and neat section. The first article is the day I became friends with a robot. And this is actually a story and a title generated by GPT-3 um, with the prompt, write the beginning to a short fictional story about a child that is afraid of artificial intelligence, but then makes friends with a robot, colon. <laughs> and, and so that's how that story began. Uh, it's very cute, but I think what's even cuter about it is that there was illustrated artwork throughout generated by Dolly2, which is open AI, another OpenAI model. Um, and with the following prompts, uh, there were three pieces in there. Um, one was a robot just standing in the middle of the street, comma, digital art. Second one was a child is surprised to see a robot standing in the street, comma, digital art. And the third one was a child and a a robot doing homework, digital art. And so very cute. I encourage you to go look at it. It's very, very short. Um, uh, it's it's cute how the whole thing is generated. Um, yeah, it's it's quite fun. And I've seen some other, uh, there was actually a paper about generating um, images for these kinds of short stories where it was more controllable. So it's, it's quite fun. 
And just to read a bit of this, uh, right, uh, it's only like three paragraphs total. So very short. And to give you an idea, uh, one of the sections reads, I had never talked to a robot before. We talked for a while and I found out that its name was Robot, where it's with zeros instead of O's. I asked it why it was just standing in the street and it said that it was waiting for its human friend. I told it that I didn't have any friends that were robots, but that I would be its friend. Robot said that it would like that. So, you know, very children's story, kind of simple writing, but pretty cute. It's pretty adorable. <laughs> yeah, I would read more, you know, AI-generated stories one of these days we'll get around to doing our ai story generation podcast oh, yes we have that dream we should make that public that way people that well, we have pressure on us to make this happen yeah yeah <laughs> all right well let's move on to our last story i used ai to see what these 23 popular con- cartoon characters would look like in real life so- so the author of his post describes how, uh, as the title implies, he used uh, AI apps to generate, um, you know, very photorealistic looking images of the faces of different characters. Uh, so that things like Ned Flanders, um, there was... Um, Aladdin. A lot of Disney characters are in there. Yeah, there was Moana also. You know, a lot of characters. There was Bart Simpson, which actually was pretty good. And uh, he just did this using free mobile applications, FaceApp, Gradiente, and Rimini. So he didn't have to do any sort of AI training, collab notebooks, anything like that. Literally just used official apps and generated these uh, pretty neat uh, results. Um, Similar to what we discussed a couple weeks back with Harry Potter, uh, real real images of uh, like characters. So yeah, kind of fun how just about anybody can do this kind of thing um, these days. And I'm sure we'll start seeing a lot more um, of these kinds of blog posts, it'll probably just become a whole new genre of I used AI to do X and, you know, now I got lots of clicks. <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse. And with that, our episode is over. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast. Once again, you can check out uh, all these articles and similar ones at lastweekin.ai, our free newsletter. As always, please share it with your friends if you like the source of AI news, and please uh, do give us a review on Apple Podcasts so we know uh, what you think. And uh, we do check it, and I do like to take feedback into account, so that will be pretty cool if you do that. But, uh, you know, no pressure. The main thing is just uh, stick around and be sure to tune in in but no pressure the main thing is just keep listening if you enjoy our podcast it's always very uh cool to see that some people actually listen to this so we do hope you enjoy it